0: Welcome to the Generation Space podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about building the digital infrastructure in the sky. Today, I'm joined by Mark Boggett. Hello, everyone. And Seraphim CIO, James Bruger.
1: Hi, everyone. Great to be here.
0: James, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself quickly, that would be great.
1: Sure. So I'm one of the the co-founders at at Seraphim. So alongside Mark helped set up in 2016 the world's first venture fund focused on space. In my role as as head of the investment team, I've helped oversee the building of the world's largest portfolio of space-related investments and was also part of the team that listed the world's first listed fund focused on space last year.
0: Brilliant. Let's get straight to it. James, what is this digital infrastructure in the sky?
1: So this new digital infrastructure in the sky are these new constellations of very large numbers of of satellites. So historically, there have only been very small constellations of perhaps a handful of satellites, all doing one common thing. But nowadays, you're now starting to see constellations of hundreds and even thousands of satellites that are collecting and communicating data about the Earth. So that's what
2: this digital infrastructure refers to.
0: Mark, can you tell us um, a little bit why this is happening and what's driving it?
2: Well, you can't talk about space without talking about Elon Musk. And he's really at the start of this story with the development of SpaceX. SpaceX has revolutionized the launch industry by bringing in reusability and using 3D printing components, all of which were brand new to the space sector. What he's able to do is drive down the cost of sending a kilo into space. To put that into perspective, it's fallen from $86,000 down to less than $1,000 today. So that's driven tremendous change and created tremendous commercial opportunity in the space market. But Elon's not alone. There's 150 other rocket launch companies um, behind them. They're all using reusability and 3D printed components in order to drive down that price and open up access to space. So not to be left behind, Elon's got uh, uh, another ace up his sleeve with his new Starship which is going to further significantly reduce the cost of sending a kilo into space because this is a a huge vehicle. So on one side of the equation, what we've got is a significant change in the cost dynamic of getting into space. The other side is a revolution that's gone on in the satellite industry. So satellites used to be the size of a car or the size of a bus, costing hundreds or even billions of dollars. And all of that has changed in the last handful of years As entrepreneurs have been taking components from adjacent sectors, so from the consumer electronics sector, from the oil and gas sector, from the uh, automotive sector, and bringing together these components and creating very capable satellites. These satellites are the size of a microwave, the size of a shoebox, but they've got much the functionality of these older satellites that, that cost hundreds of millions of dollars. So if you bring these two things together, low-cost launch and low-cost miniaturized satellites, it's now possible to build this constellation in the sky, this digital infrastructure in the sky that James was talking about. So there's only been 13,000 satellites that have ever been launched since Sputnik. There are 5,000 satellites that are operational in space today or thereabouts. 80% of those were launched in the last three years. So this is an evolution and a revolution that's taking place right now. We're still at the foothills of the growth of this digital infrastructure, but there's a huge amount of opportunity that's being created right now, and that's where we're focused.
1: One of the ways that I like to, to think about this is comparing it to, to what happened in computing. So in the 60s, mainframe computers were as, were as big as, as a room. Then came the, the PC revolution uh, that started in, in the 80s uh, that ultimately then led to, to the smartphone resolution. And the smartphones that all of us have today are more powerful than the supercomputer that sent people to the moon in the, in the 60s. So you've seen an incredible change in computing in terms of both miniaturization and capability. And what's really exciting about space is that's now being applied to the space sector and is really driving this digital infrastructure.
0: We heard Mark talk about Elon Musk and SpaceX and is this what people would describe as new space and, and a new space company?
1: Yes, yeah, so one way of thinking about new space is that it's these these trends that Mark has been talking about that are really quite different from the way in which the space sector has historically operated. So until the last decade or so, space was was really quite different. As Mark was alluding to, satellites were very big, they were very expensive, they required very significant amounts of government support, and they needed to work because they were so expensive for 10, 15 years. So every single satellite was 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 bespoke. And that really didn't allow the sector to benefit from all of the technical innovation that was happening more broadly in things like consumer electronics. It also meant that the sector as a whole probably wasn't one that was particularly well aligned with venture capital, the sort of thing that Mark and I do. And it was really the changes in the economics of space, the things being a hundredth of the cost of what they used to be, that led Mark and I to look to set up the world's first venture fund focused on space in 2015 and 2016. So the risk-reward profile of space has just dramatically changed in such a way that it's now of a comparable cost to start a space business as it is to start many other businesses. So what does that mean? It means you're seeing the industry being flooded with thousands of entrepreneurs from around the world who are all proactively choosing to start their next business in, in space. These are businesses that are, that are much more capital efficient, that they're able to innovate much more quickly, and ultimately that is what's driving profound change in, in the overall sector. So that's really the difference between new space and, uh, and old space in a nutshell.
0: How many private companies are we, are we talking about here? This sounds endless.
1: Many, many thousands is the short answer to that, and and growing every day. I mean, I think one of the things that has just been amazing for us to to see over the last five or six years is that this innovation really is happening in every single part of the sector, and it is truly happening on a truly global basis. So in all of the corners of the world, there are companies that are doing some astounding things to push forward the, the, the sector, but also the world at large.
0: James, can you explain a little bit to us about Seraphim's thesis And what really interests you personally about space?
1: Really at the heart of what Seraphim is looking to do is the development of this digital infrastructure in in, in the sky. So I'm a historian by background and one of the things that has interested me about space is the parallels that I see that's happening with this digital infrastructure as compared to other types of infrastructure historically. So think about the way in the 19th century, telegrams and the railroads completely transformed our, our, our world. Think about how in the 20th century, it was the advent of the Internet... And mobile telephony and aviation that had a huge impact. What's really exciting is that the space sector, through this digital infrastructure, has the potential to have that same level of impact in the 21st century. And really, the focus of all of our activities is trying to to help that better imagined future become a reality sooner. So, what does that mean in, in, in practice? If you think about all of these constellations of thousands of satellites that are collecting information in incredible detail, we're talking every sort of meter of the planet, ultimately in close to to real time, being able to get online from wherever you are in the world reliably. We're talking about an enormous amount of data and connectivity. And ultimately, our view is that that data and connectivity is really going to transform the world as, as we know it and is going to impact every single sector on the planet. And it's for those reasons that many commentators, including some of the world's largest investment banks, are all predicting that space is going to become a multi-trillion dollar sector over the next decade or so. So what excites me personally? Well, for me, one of the things that's great about space is that it really finds itself a, a nexus of some of the most exciting trends that we believe are probably going to define societal change over the next decade and beyond. I'm thinking about things like robotics and artificial intelligence and Internet of Things, autonomous cars, drones and flying taxis, and actually all of us learning to live more sustainability. Fundamentally, space and this new infrastructure has a critical role to play in making all of those other areas function. They simply can't deliver on their potential unless this infrastructure exists.
0: Wow, amazing. So finally, Mark, what does this all mean for us here on Earth?
2: So we believe that this space-based platform is going to disrupt every single vertical on the planet. Let me give you some examples of how we see this playing out. So talk about agriculture, first of all. From space, it's possible to look down at a farmer's field and identify soil moisture. So that means that um, you don't need to water the entire field. You just water the part of the field that requires watering. So that preserves the precious commodity of water, a really important thing in places like Africa. Then from the exact same platform, we can look at what bad actors are doing around the planet. Those that are chopping down rainforests or dumping effluent into the sea or polluting rivers. So these bad actors will be held to account because there's now an audit of what they're doing and there's evidence that will be used to stop them. Let's talk about insurance, another massive industry that is going to benefit from this huge amount of this tsunami of data. So climate-induced weather events, the fires, the floods, the tornadoes, uh, and so on, are really uh, making life very difficult for the insurance companies. And what um, they're able to, to now obtain from space is very high-resolution data that looks at a flooded area. It identifies the extent of the flood, the depth of the, the flooded water, the speed that that water is travelling, and importantly, what assets have been subjected to that flood. So what the insurance industry is then able to do is use that data, because that data represents truth, that um, enable them to be able to take the costs out of any claims. But also importantly, to be able to pay out quickly. If you've just had uh, your house flooded, you want to get paid out as quickly as you can. But again, from this same platform, it can identify the families that are actually set on the roofs of their building because they can't get anywhere because of the floodwater. And then it helps with the humanitarian efforts in order to be able to address that. Then we've got telecommunications. So uh, we believe that the telecommunications market is going to be turned on its head over the next few years. So what we are going to see, in fact, we've already started to see this with Apple in their iPhone 14 releasing the, the first phone that can communicate directly with a satellite. Currently, that's just for SOS calls. So that those SOS calls can be made from anywhere. But what is also going on at the same time is the ability to be able to communicate with any mobile phone. So right now, there are cell towers that are being launched into space that are going to enable communication with any mobile phone without any hardware or software adjustment to that phone. Now, that's going to make a huge impact. Half of the world is on 0G today, half the world is on 5G, and when the other half can connect, it's going to drive health, it's going to drive education, it's going to improve standards of living, it's going to drive commerce, it's going to have a global impact. And then we've got defence and intelligence. Everything that's going on around the world at the moment, geopolitical tensions, but of course, uh, what's going on in the Ukraine the capabilities from this digital infrastructure in the sky very high resolution capability close to real time this is really helping the the allied nations address the problems identify how to support humanitarian efforts and support the population of ukraine so it's worth making a point here that when we're investing into into these markets and particularly defense markets We're very much focused on security rather than weaponry. You know, this is a platform that's here to help humanity, and that's very much how we're focused on this area. So there's so much opportunity. Uh, James alluded to the fact that um, the investment banks are calling this a trillion-dollar market opportunity. There are so many areas where space is really going to help humanity and drive many of the problems that um, is faced by our world.
0: Amazing. I think there's a lot of things that no one knew actually is happening right now in space. I think people are going to learn a lot from this. Is is there something that people just don't know that's happening?
2: When people think about space, they think about satellites, they think about rockets, and that's where it ends. Space is so much more than satellites and rockets. It's about this data set, it's about this communication capability that is going to impact our everyday lives. Everybody's lives have already been impacted by GPS that blue dot in your mobile phone, what we're going to see over the next handful of years are other space-based data and communication capabilities that are going to increasingly impact our everyday life in a positive way.
0: James, do you have anything to add to that? What gets you excited? What don't people know?
1: So what don't people know? So a lot of what we've been talking about sounds like it, it, it's the future, but I think what people don't really know is just how much of our everyday lives already rely on on satellites. Think about every time that you're trying to use SatNav to find somewhere or Google Maps. That's not possible without space. Think about watching Sky TV. That's not possible without satellites. Think about weather forecasting. That doesn't happen without satellites. Think about your Amazon delivery arriving just in time. That can't happen without satellites and, and, uh, and logistics and transport and everything that relies upon that. So the modern world is really run by satellites in ways that it's completely invisible to, to most people. So satellites are already really fundamental parts of our everyday lives. And everything that we've just been talking about is going to, to see that really manifest itself in a much more dramatic way over the handful of
2: next few years, which we think is really exciting.
0: Mark, before I let you go, I know you've got a brilliant MythBuster for us today.
2: Yes, I do. So most people have huge concerns about the carbon emissions from all of these rockets that uh, are increasingly taking off. The reality is that a, a launch of a, a SpaceX Falcon rocket is only marginally worse than a fully laden jumbo jet travelling from London to New York. So how many launches are going to be taking place this year? Hundreds. You know, that's equivalent to uh, a single day at Heathrow.
1: It's also important not to forget the really positive impact that all of those satellites that are being launched on that rocket are having. As we've been talking about, many of them are being used to help improve life here on Earth.
0: James, Mark, thank you for joining me today on the Generation Space podcast.
2: We are Seraphim.